You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And we're in the month of April. And even though I'm recording this on April Fool's Day, that is no joke at all. And April, as you know around here, if you're a regular listener to the show, is Autism Awareness Month. And since my wife and I are both on a spectrum having Asperger's, I want to do something every month about this. Now, if you read my blog, you kind of know what's coming, but if you haven't, I think I'm going to try and not tell you right off. But we're bringing back Stephen Bedard. He is the author of a book, How to Make Your Church Autism Friendly, which we talked about last time. He's the pastor of Queen Street Baptist Church and a sessional lecturer at Tyndale University College. He has MDiv, MTH, and MA degrees from McMaster Divinity College and is a D-man candidate at Acadia Divinity College. So, uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Nick. Now, normally I have my guests give a more personal introduction, but you and I have been talking about things before the show, and I think I'm going to kind of do things this way, is that, uh, I mean, was it like a couple of years or so ago you wrote the book, How to Make Your Church Autism Friendly? Yes, I uh, had been thinking about it for a while, having uh, two children on the spectrum, and they're on the... Uh, what would be considered the severe end of the spectrum. And, and mm-hmm. having been a pastor of uh, a small church, I had a, a sense of of some of the challenges of that. And then after uh, having pastored for a while, I actually took a little bit of a break, about a three-year break as a pastor, and was just attending a church mm-hmm. and uh, was uh, bringing our son uh, with us to church. And, and I thought it would be a good idea to put together some practical tips of how churches can be autism-friendly. And uh, part of that, too, is just telling our story of what it was like uh, to have our children receive the diagnosis and the challenges that went along with that. And so that's basically where the where the book came out of. And you're also someone with a very active interest in Christian apologetics, and including in one of the favorite areas of mine that I like to deal with, the Jesus myth idea. Yes, uh, that is something that I've been uh, involved in for uh, quite a while. My first book came out in 2006, and that was a uh, a book that I co-wrote with Stanley Porter, who's the uh, president of McMaster Divinity College. And uh, that came out of my pastoral ministry in that uh, we were responding to a Jesus mythicist who happened to live in the same small town where I was pastoring. And uh, he had written a book that was uh, very popular, at least in Canada. I think it uh, did well elsewhere as well. And we wanted to provide a resource that would be um, 
a good response for lay people. So it, it's uh, it's scholarly, uh, solid, but still is written in a way that you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand it. And so that's where that came out of. Yeah. And I'm, I'm drawing a mental blank right now. A guy's name was Thomas something. Uh, yeah, it? Tom Harper. Harper, that's uh, right. Yeah, he just passed away actually just a, mm. a couple of months ago. Mm. Uh, and uh, hopefully he had rethought his position uh, at some point before that, but I don't know. But uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to uh, to respond to that. And actually, when you, as you bring up uh, autism uh, and apologetics, uh, for me, those two things go together very well. So last night, I was involved in, a, in an event at uh, Brock University uh, here in St. Catharines, where I live, uh, with a Power to Change uh, event. Power to Change is what used to be called the Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the topic I was uh, given was how God can be uh, all good and all powerful in a world with suffering. And I know there's many philosophical uh, responses to that, some very good ones, but I ended up using a lot of our experience with autism uh, to just uh, illustrate uh, how God works in the midst of suffering and the lessons uh, I have learned from my children about where God is. So those things really go together very well for me. I was heading home once from a projects event with my wife, and she out of blue said, you know, maybe one time I could speak at one of these things on dealing with evil, since she's on the spectrum and she's got a number of other mental conditions on top of that. Wow, that's incredible. But the only time Allie has ever given a presentation at a apologetics talk was talking about the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it is a, um, it's a very practical, relevant topic, uh, whether you're, you're touched with autism or not, mm-hmm. but it did lead to some pretty interesting conversations about, um, you know, why God allows autism and uh, what does that uh, mean for um, the way God interacts with us. And, and, and part of it, too, is to, to um, help people understand that uh, autism isn't uh, God's punishment. In fact, uh, there's a lot of good things that come from autism, and I try to explain to them that uh, some of the uh, greatest discoveries and inventions that have come around have been from people who likely were on the autism spectrum. So uh, it's not a curse by any means, even though in the case uh, of my children, uh, some safety issues have come along with the autism, but it's not necessarily the, the autism itself that mm-hmm. it's the, uh, the main problem. Now, you wrote your book, I was just checking, I think it came out in April of 2015, but you had an updated version come out in December of 2016, because I think you made a discovery that really changed your position some, didn't it? Yes. uh, There was something that was sort of in the the back of my mind, but I hadn't really uh, done anything about it, but I had had some conversations with my wife, and... and, uh, Every once in a while, I would do something uh, or say something, and I would comment that, well, I guess that was kind of Aspergerish 
uh, I have some Asperger-ish qualities. And my wife would start laughing because uh, it wasn't Asperger-ish. It was, uh, it really was Asperger's or uh, as it's known now as uh, just as autism uh, spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. So we had talked about that. We had recognized some certain things, both uh, from our understanding of uh, some of the behavior that we see in our children uh, and also some of the reading that we've done since then. And so I ended up talking to my uh, my doctor who then uh, sent me to uh, someone who could uh, diagnose that. And I went through all kinds of tests and uh, ended up coming out with a pretty clear diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And I just need to make clear that uh, uh, people wondered that the connection between Asperger's and autism, there was a separate diagnosis for Asperger's at one point, but in the the new manual for di uh, diagnosing, uh, it, it's all put under autism spectrum disorder. So that actually was a, uh, a positive experience for me, and I ended up uh, adding another chapter to the book when I updated it because when it comes to uh, helping churches support people with autism, most people are thinking about uh, people like my children who have very clear disabilities, and they might not have any idea of what it means to include people who are higher functioning or have uh, Asperger's. Because you or I. Exactly, yes. And it's it's sometimes different. Sometimes people don't recognize that it's that way. Uh, they might notice that we have certain issues, that we take things pretty seriously in a, in a certain way, and just might find it kind of weird and not realize that it's the way our brains are wired and that's the way God has made us. And, and that's uh, something that we need to uh, be welcomed for and also to use in our gifts. Uh, that's an important thing as well. Because uh, one of the issues that I, I found is that uh, sometimes it's the people who are higher functioning who have more struggles. Like my children, um, you know, they're, they have autism, but especially my daughter, I mean, she has no idea of how different she is. She doesn't really care. She has her own way and she's she's great with it. But I have encountered other people with uh, high-functioning autism mm -hmm. who uh, are very aware that they are different. And that really was my, my experience, especially as a teenager. Uh, being a teenager is tough no matter what. Uh, and uh, I would have wished that I had known uh, more about autism at that time. All I knew is I was different and people thought I was a, a bit strange in some of my obsessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have to say, when I saw you come out with the announcement maybe about a year, year and a half or so ago about you were on the spectrum, I was not the least bit surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, you know, there's some people that have said that and then there are other people who have said, no, there's no way that you have autism. Mm -hmm. uh, and the one the one challenge that I get is people will say, well, how can you be a pastor and have autism? So I actually wrote a, a short little book 
responding to, to that called The Autistic Pastor mm-hmm. uh, that I, I also uh, self-published. And uh, it goes through my story of uh, growing up and, and not knowing mm-hmm. what was different about me, but certainly being aware that there was something different and then how that affected my faith as well. We can talk about this in, in a little bit, but in my own uh, faith journey, I actually became uh, an atheist in uh, my mid-teens. And I can see now that it was some of my uh, autistic traits that led me to that. And at the same time, those same traits led me to eventually give up on atheism and to see the the evidence that there was indeed a God. But I go through that and try to respond to some of the the, uh, pushback that I get. So the one thing people will say was, well, how can you counsel if uh, you have autism? Well, there's a couple of things I can say about that. Um, First, it is uh, a bit of a stereotype to say that people, all people with autism uh, cannot empathize with people. Uh, I hear that a lot. Uh, How it's demonstrated is often different. But even for my children who are Again, on the severe end, uh, they are very empathetic, uh, sometimes to a fault that they have. They really struggle uh, with their response when they see intense emotion. So they can really empathize. And I can empathize as well. But the other part of it is really pastors aren't supposed to be doing counseling unless they are specifically trained. And uh, I basically had one course on pastoral counseling in seminary. That's not enough for me to be a counselor. And so what Mm -hmm. I do when someone in my church uh, is going through a difficult time, uh, I meet with them and I let them talk to me. And I find that uh, just having a listening ear whether that ear is autistic or non-autistic, it doesn't really matter. Uh, just having that listening ear really makes the difference. And and then I pray with them. And uh, and that really is should be my job as a pastor anyways. And there's no reason why autism should get in the way of that. And in terms of some of the other things that I do, I, I find that my autism helps me in my uh, – studying of the Bible in terms of looking for patterns, uh, seeing how things connect. Uh, It also leads to me uh, being a pretty voracious reader. I try to read two or three books uh, a week. Uh, I listen to, uh, I I think, about 25 different podcasts. And so I am uh, am consuming content at a pretty high rate, which uh, is a part of my uh, autism obsessions. But it ends up benefiting my church in the in terms of what I have to bring both to my sermons and to Bible studies and, mm-hmm. and other things like that. So I don't find it to be a obstacle by any means. Yeah. And I would follow many of the exact same patterns you would. I mean, counseling, I can usually provide a listening ear, give some wisdom and such, but I'll also try and say, try and find yourself a skilled therapist. Although kind of following the same Mike Pence were, I'd say that uh, I wouldn't be counseling women, especially, mm-hmm. and that's my role, so don't be alone with an, another woman who's not family and not your wife. That's just a good principle I follow. Oh, for sure, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Now, I also liked how you pointed out about how there are good things that can come 
because someone's on the spectrum. And my wife and I talk about this kind of thing for if, for instance, tomorrow it was announced there is a cure for the condition, and you can take a pill or get a shot or something, and it will remove everything that comes to you from the disorder, as it is called, and such. My wife would probably want to be one of the first people in line. And for her, I wouldn't blame her. She's got a whole lot of issues that she struggles with, and I think if she could remove one, she'd be happy with that. For me, I would say, yeah, um, sorry, I don't want it. Because I think it gives me too many positives that far outweigh the negatives, just like you. I'm a voracious reader. When I do a debate, I can be locked in on a subject much easier and not distracted emotionally and such. And I I think my mind is able to work with multiple things at once because of a condition. I, I yeah I totally agree with you there there are a lot of great things <clears throat> and I've had that talk with my wife uh, as well and I certainly wouldn't uh, want a cure I wouldn't want to uh, to be changed now there there are things that I need to learn and mm. things that I need uh, skills that I need to develop and so one of the reasons why I sought out the uh, the diagnosis was I wanted to uh, figure out ways to improve my relationship with my wife because right. with her not uh, being on the spectrum, um, she communicates in a certain way and she can read uh, social cues and uh, body language in ways. And I've, I've told her that it feels like she can read my mind uh, because she just knows everything because she's she has access to all these other things that I just don't have access to, and I miss out on all kinds of things that I really need to be paying attention when it comes to our relationship. So I um, I want to to learn in that area. So I'm I'm reading books on on relationships uh, with with um, couples that are. Uh, one on the spectrum and one not, and it's. I find it helpful. Uh, there's some just basic skills uh, of uh, demonstrating love. It's that it's not just enough for me to feel the love. I need to be able to express it in ways that she will receive it and and understand where I'm coming from. So, um, you know, I'm, I work on those skills and I work on skills too of. Uh, how to recover uh, after spending a lot of time with uh, with people, um, you know, just in terms of, of self-care. Mm. And, uh, I mean, that's something everyone has to be uh, working on anyways. But now that I know some of my uh, neurological makeup, that gives me some uh, hints on how to do self-care and to, to make sure that I'm not uh, burning out in the the activities that I'm doing. The other thing that uh, that it's been helpful for, though, and uh, I hadn't really realized this until the diagnosis, is in terms of my obsessions. So throughout my life, and this is one of the clues that I had that there was something going on with me, uh, I've never been able to do things uh, half-hearted. I I have to either throw myself in 150% or there's no point in doing it at all and there's, uh, a, there's an image i've seen it's kind of like a light switch one in absolute yeah. total obsession everyone no interest whatsoever that's right there, there's no fader on it at all it's mm. it's uh, on or it's off and uh, as a child uh, 
for me, that was comic books. I just uh, had to get more and more and more and more comic books. And that was my, my big thing. And I actually just eventually sold them uh, about two years ago. And, and I had uh, dozens of these huge boxes of comic books. And I, and I was looking at them and like, well, you know, some of these are good. And I kept some good ones. But I realized I was just giving into the obsession there. And uh, I've had a few others that throughout my life. Uh, now, of course, it is uh, it is books, uh, whether it's uh, theological or uh, I read a lot of history and uh, some other topics as well. And so I don't feel too guilty about it because this actually uh, fits in with my uh, my current doctoral studies as well as being a pastor. Yeah, I think it's important to be uh, well read there. So I, I don't feel so bad about it and uh thankfully i've been able to find ways to uh to get books that don't cost a whole lot of money by uh, uh doing uh blog reviews and, and and that type of thing but um i sometimes you know my children will want me to you know play video games with them and i have to tell them that you know i can't get into video games because if i start uh letting video games be a part of my life i will just um let it take over i remember when I was a teenager and, or in my early 20s, uh, and I would get into video games, I could play the, the same game uh, for 10 hours straight and would be quite happy just to, to keep doing that. And so I just don't have the time in my life to, to do that kind of stuff. So I have to be very careful in terms of what my interests are going to be. Yeah, I have to confirm myself if games are. So usually what I'll do is I'll make sure it's like Allie and I are playing a game together. So that's marriage time together. Or I'm listening to a podcast at the same time, and that's probably the only time I'd get to listen to podcasts. Or it'll be that we're watching TV together, and I won't be able to read for you, but I can get out my 3DS and play a little bit there, and then that's it. And then, of course, every now I've got games going on with friends, such as Words with Friends or Word Streak and things like that. But, yeah, I have to control myself there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had a lot of good times with that. Um, but it's uh, I, I know what my what the possibility is for me if I, I just let it go. And, and like I said, when it comes to books, um, you know, I see the practical uh, outcome for it. Now I'm sure that at some point I'm going to have to get rid of some, uh, again, uh, when I moved, I had to get rid of a whole bunch of books. So I realized I had been collecting books that I'm not necessarily going to read, or I read once and I have no interest in reading again. Um, but right now in the different areas of, of uh, research that I'm doing. I'm finding a, a lot of uh, good books. It, it's nice. I live in a university town. So in the, uh, in the used book stores, I see a lot of people getting rid of their textbooks and I've been uh, really collecting a, a pretty good library of uh, books on uh, ancient Greece and Rome and uh, Egypt to a certain extent as well for some upcoming uh, projects I have. I have another book on the Jesus myth that I want to uh, to be doing, but I got to wait until I'm I'm done my uh, my thesis uh, for my doctor of ministry degree. So, but it's I'm looking to the future there. So I, I see there's at least um, a use for the things that I'm getting, and that they're not just going to be uh, a waste of uh, time or money. Yeah, I I also like if you talk about uh, learning about things for marriage and such and. We have the same kind of situation here, although it's still a bit different when you have a marriage where both of us 
on the spectrum. But the good thing is, usually where I'm strong, she's weak, and where she's strong, I'm weak. And, I mean, one of the main areas that Ari covers for me so well and helps me with, for instance, is my food issues. When we're out in public and I don't know what to say when someone offers us something to eat because my diet is so finicky and I don't want to be rude, Ari covers for me brilliantly then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, I've found that uh, my wife, Amanda, she's uh, very good to... Uh, in the, in the same way of, of being, um, complimentary that, mm. uh, that there are definitely are areas where I'm weak and she's strong and where she's weak and I'm strong. So for example, um, when, uh, when our children were first diagnosed, um, and you know, there was, uh, a lot of grief there at the, uh, at the moment, uh, knowing that this was really going to change our lives of how things uh, how we expected life to look at. And mm-hmm. um, my wife uh, began the, the grief process right away where I was more, okay, what knowledge do I need to gain? What books do I need to read? Yes. <laughs> what skills do I need to develop? Let's tackle this this uh, situation. And uh, so that was good that I was able to do that. And then later on, when I was coming to terms with uh, what this meant for our family, then it was time for me to grieve. But by that time, Amanda had already worked through her process and she was able to support me there. So uh, if we had both gone through that at the exact same time, it would have been very difficult, but um, she's able to uh, um, to do it right away and to deal with the emotions in ways that, um, that I just uh, am not able to, at least not right at the beginning. And so that, that has been good, but we really, uh, have to, have to work a lot in terms of, um, communicating to each other that, uh, I could easily just get into my, my own world and to, to do the things that I want to do. Uh, the other uh, issue that comes along there is that, uh, she's very much an extrovert and I'm an introvert. And so, um, I am happy to just, have my time with my wife and children and uh whereas she wants to get together more with other people and it's not that i'm against Mm -hmm. it but i just don't think about it it doesn't register on my radar that oh yeah i guess you know it would be good for us to even go to a movie with some friends or invite people over uh for uh, for a meal and so um we're working on that and that works out good in that it um uh like it, it becomes a part of our uh, uh, church ministry of having people from the church over, and uh, that helps me in that we can uh, have uh, people over, we can have interaction, but also with Amanda being a part of it, uh, then it's not left up to me to carry on the conversation. Because the uh, I'll say this is the biggest challenge that I have with, uh, with autism. It's uh, making... Uh, uh, chit chatting, basically. Oh yes, small oh, talk. Gosh. Oh gosh, <laughs> uh. I don't mind. I I can talk to people for hours when we have mm. a very specific thing that we want right. to talk about. So whether that's, um, you know, uh, apologetics, apologetics, or you know, like there's so many things that I'm interested. I'm in, really interested in uh, military history, and so I can I can talk about that. Or even if if there's someone 
uh, who's going through a hard time and they want to talk to me about something very specific, I am happy to hear that. But when it is just plain chit chat, I'm like, why are we even talking? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What this is. Yeah, Yeah, I'm thinking two things right now, but it's so similar what you do. When we lived in Tennessee, we lived next door to my parents. And my parents were often saying, you know, why don't you come up and just visit and see us every once in a while? Well, we don't think about it. All you have to do is just come up and just visit. And I said, Mom, Dad, if you want to come up and visit, what you need to do is set a specific time and a specific reason, and then we'll come up. Because other than that, we do not think that way. That It, it seems out of bounds to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then with small talk, I agree with you entirely because, to me, small talk seems so fake. Because it's everyone trying to go forward and act like they're really interested in everything going on. And you know they're going to forget it about ten minutes later or so. I mean, I can go through the checkout line of a grocery store without hardly saying a word. Unless someone says to me, like, hey, what's that book that you're reading? And then I'm ready to talk. And such mm-hmm. things. Vince, like, please... Don't don't be giving me small talk because I don't see a person. Even if my own mother calls me, I would say, okay, so what's on your mind, Mom? What do you, what do you want to talk about? Because I don't want to give us, hi, how are you? What's going on? I think, why are we having this discussion? We we talk so we can so we can deal with a subject matter. Let's deal with a subject matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is uh, totally it, and, and people people don't realize that. I, I once read uh, actually about uh, Temple Grandine, yeah. and she, uh, I mean, she's brilliant. She's got a PhD, and you know, she has really had a lot of influence in a lot of areas, uh, even outside of, of autism. And I remember reading uh, something about her where she talked about how she can write uh, an academic level book, but if someone asks her to uh, autograph it and put a little something in there, you know, how uh, authors will write a little yeah. phrase or whatever. Uh, and she'd say, I, g- I got nothing. There's nothing there that I can think of to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff is harder to do than the actual writing of the book. And uh, people don't realize that those type of things that seem so natural to a lot of people are really, really difficult for uh, people on the spectrum. And I, I think, yes, sorry. No, go ahead. I think we can relate this to what goes on in a church, because like you said, if someone comes in more severe and such, where you can usually tell there's something going on, even if you don't know it's autism, you know there's something. But if someone like you or I goes into a church and... I understand why I do, but the usual thing is go out and be friendly immediately. Greet the person, introduce yourself, ask you, tell your name, ask their name, everything like that. I understand why they do it, but what they don't know is whenever they do that kind of stuff, it kind of terrifies us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, you know, I am so blessed with the church that I have uh, in that when um, – when I when there's someone new at the church, I'll go and greet them and introduce myself. And, you know, and but I'm usually looking for information like how did they find? Did you did you go to our website kind of thing? But we have so many friendly people in our church that I don't feel like the pressure is all on me to do that. Mm-hmm. That I know that I can uh, make the initial greeting and say hi to them. 
uh, and then l- know that uh, someone else in the congregation can come in and do the other stuff. And that's really, that's important. Yeah. That's their role. It's not my role to uh, be doing absolutely everything. And a, a church needs more than a friendly pastor. You need a, a friendly church. So yeah. uh, that's, uh, that works out great. But yeah, that, that is one of the big challenges. And I found that what I had to do, and I've, I've, I did this long before I had a, a diagnosis, is that I had to basically file away in my brain a couple of topics that I can pull out and use at any time. Right. Uh, it never feels natural to me, but uh, just so that I'm not just staying quiet the whole time, uh, I will access these files in my brain and we'll start talking about whatever because i i try to have a little bit more than just talking about the weather uh, although sometimes i have to go on to that one but um it's it just never comes natural and i noticed that through uh, growing up that i would watch how people would interact and i would think i don't i don't understand how they're doing that like yeah. where are they getting all of this stuff that they could just have this this uh, conversation. I'd go out with a, a friend and he would start this real uh, conversation with the, the cashier and like they'd be talking about all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand how yeah. you even get to that point. Uh, first of all, why do you want to do that? But secondly, uh, how do you, uh, how do you just find things to talk about so naturally? And so getting the diagnosis now, I don't beat myself up about it. I understand this is the way I am. I'm okay with it. And I try to operate in my strengths and uh, just be aware of my own weaknesses. You know, with this kind of issue coming here, I've asked uh, Hugh Ross this question when he was on, because I'm not sure if you know what, but Hugh Ross is on the spectrum as well. That's right, yes. And it's the kind of question I think people can ask me. And yes, it's a very personal one, but it's one that people are usually interested in. And Hugh Ross says it's the first one he gets asked, and that's it. If for you and I who have trouble talking to people and such, the main question that can usually come up is, "How the heck did you get married?" <laughs> yeah, you know, I it, it's it's really interesting. I look back, and uh, I didn't date uh, very much at all. Right. Um, although now I can I can look back and realize there was a, a, a number of girls that were interested and who uh, demonstrated the interest, but I did not pick it up right away at all. It just went totally over me, and I didn't realize uh, what was going on. So when someone would eventually say, "You know, so and so was really interested," I'm like, "Oh, I didn't I didn't see that. I didn't didn't even know." And uh, in terms of uh, my wife, uh, you know what, she, um, I mean, it was mutual attraction, but uh, in many ways, uh, she pursued me a lot and uh, I guess caught on pretty early that she had to be uh, painfully clear about things. (laughs) And so that, uh, that helped. And then, uh, and certainly there there was challenges uh, in uh, trying to learn about each other and to know how to interact. Uh, but having the, the diagnosis has, has helped in that, uh, that we, again, can, can know what our strengths are and know what, uh, what we have to really be, be working on. But it is, uh, you know, no, no marriage is easy, and uh, we've done uh, very well. We actually have just uh, celebrated our, 
uh, 17th uh, anniversary. And so uh, very happy with her. I, I will mention one thing, though. Um, I just read a book on, on marriage on, in terms of autism and Asperger's. And I found it really interesting that they refer to the person without autism uh, not as neurotypical because, as you, you're probably aware, that that's oh, usually yes. the term that people use for anyone who doesn't have autism. And in this book, uh, the author mentioned that um, just because someone has autism or just because someone doesn't have autism – does not mean that they're neurotypical, that there are other issues out there beyond autism. And so uh, they just go with the phrase uh, non-spectrum uh, mm-hmm. because that, that's all you can assume. You don't know what else is there. And uh, my wife, uh, you know, she has some mental health issues, which she's very open about on her own blog. She talks a, a lot about that and is uh, very honest. And so we have to uh, work with that as well. It's not a matter of uh, her having to uh, accommodate uh, my issues. It's both of us have our own challenges and we work together on that. And I think because we're, um, we're aware of those things, it works and we're able to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's asking from my own perspective, I can say the way I got married was the internet. I mean, I got told about Allie from Gary Happermas at Schwarty, because he knows Mike Lacona and he knew about Allie and that she was going through a hard time and she has Asperger's and someone mentioned Nick Peters has Asperger's and thought, well, you know, maybe you can help her out some and such. Yeah, I I think I've, for fear of my duty of helping her out, it turned out to be a whole lot more help than what I had in mind. We ended up getting married very quickly and while you've just celebrated your 17th this July, we'll be celebrating our 7th. But the internet is definitely a great help to, for people like us to communicate. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate uh, social media. I find a lot of people are uh, give social media uh, a bad name. Um, but it's been helpful for me to be able to um, express things like uh, I – People sometimes give me a hard time for how much I blog. Uh, I some uh, some people have trouble blogging uh, once uh, a week. I have trouble only blogging once a day. I could easily blog more than that because that's easier for me to communicate mm. in that way. And uh, so it's been it's been very good. I've had great conversations about faith, uh, about other aspects of life. Uh, through the internet that would have been more of a challenge for me to do in person. So uh, I'm thankful for that. And there are some people who are um, really uh, unable to communicate uh, verbally at all. But when they have a a computer in front of them, then Mm -hmm. they can communicate in in very clear ways. Have you seen the movie The Accountant? No, we've been told we should see it, though. You should see that movie. Now, it, it is violent. Uh, and there's a, a lot of uh, uh, killing and stuff in it, but it is about autism. Uh, the main character has autism. Uh, ben Affleck plays mm-hmm. a, a man with autism. He does a good job of it, actually, very good job. Mm-hmm. And and there, But anyways, there's another character in there, and I, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, you would never know 
what she was doing on the computer if you had just seen uh, her in person. But uh, the computer opened up all kinds of different opportunities for her to use her gifts. So anyways, there's a little plug for that movie. Uh, it's definitely definitely worth watching, if you, especially if you like action movies. Yeah, I, I, I do. You know, I, I married a woman who would much rather go see James Bond or The Avengers or something like that than to go see what I just chipped like that came out. Mm. <laughs> That's good, yeah. But, my but wife uh, gives lets me, uh, does come with me to the uh, the movies I like, but uh, she she does like chick flicks as well. But thankfully, she's got some friends that she can have. Uh, she'll tell me that she's going to go out uh, with uh, a friend to see a chick flick. She doesn't even try to get me to go, and uh, I'm fine with that. That means I, as soon as the kids are in bed, I get that book out that I really want to finish off, and I just have some quality time with just being a book, and I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, one of the one exceptions recently though was she didn't really have much interest, and so I have another friend here, and he actually has Asperger's also. And we went together to see the Power Rangers movie when it came out. And, yes, that's another thing that is either no interest or total interest. Because if I turn on Netflix, I can watch that. And I'll be reading my book. It's like, dang, I'm just reliving growing up here so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right now I'm watching uh, one episode of Star Trek, the original series, uh, every night. Yeah. I do. I got home from that apologetics event last night, and I uh, I told my wife, "All right, I need to wind down with a little bit of Star Trek." And so I uh, turned that on and and enjoyed uh, enjoyed the stories that are there. And uh, I, although one of the things I noticed now that uh, I'm thinking about uh, about autism, I realize how much I appreciate the character of uh, Spock. Yes. Uh, when I see the interaction between Spock and McCoy, and McCoy is super emotional and and uh, just going wild and trying to deal with what's going on, and Spock is just calm and and logical and working through it, and uh, really really get to uh, appreciate uh, his character. Yeah, I actually never really got into Star Trek going up. I've gone to see two of the movies, and I thought they were very good. Once that the first one been Star Trek. Beyond, I think, or was Into Darkness, whichever the second one was, and such. But I, I'm wondering if you've ever heard of a series, I think it's Star Trek Continued, where they've gone and, because the original Star Trek was supposed to be a five-year journey, and it was cut short, so now they've gone and said, well, here's what the last few happened the last few years, and they made a whole series out of it. You know, I haven't checked that out. I'll have to do that. That would be really interesting. And by the yeah. way, with chick flicks, I will say, normally I haven't had seen, but like every other guy out there, I have had once in my life with Harry to watch The Notebook. I, I think it's a mandatory thing, but if you get married, you have to watch The Notebook at least once. It's some unwritten rule. <laughs> That's right. I have watched The Notebook. Yeah. And it was it was a pretty emotional uh, uh, movie, and I, I appreciated uh, appreciate it. I didn't have a great uh, desire to see it a second time, but... I in, I enjoyed watching it once yeah. uh, with uh, with my wife and, and and that was good. If you relate to Spock, I think if there's a character on a TV show that I can usually relate to the most, who's someone who's seen as being on the spectrum, even though the producers deny that he is, I say Sheldon Cooper, Big Bang Theory. My wife swears she is married to Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, there's a, a lot about him there that I, I can identify with. And then there's a, also a character on uh, Community. Mm. I don't know if you've ever watched Community. No. Um, I, I haven't really watched it much. My wife got into it. And uh, anyways, there's, uh, there is a character there who is very much uh, an Asperger's type person. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it, it's a lot, lot of fun to, uh, to see those things and to, to be able to, um, to enjoy some of the idiosyncrasies that are there. Because I think yeah. you have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to laugh at yourself a little bit. It's okay to, um, to realize some of the some of the things that we do are kind of funny and it's, it's okay. I think God has built us with a sense of humor and, um, you know, as long as we're confident in who we are, it's okay to, uh, to laugh at it. Yeah. My sister gave me a t-shirt for Christmas last Christmas and it is a Sheridan Cooper one. It's got one of his favorite quotes of mine on it because uh, people would say, this fits you so well. And it's when he says, I cry because others are stupid and that makes me sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's good that's really good now you know, when yeah. we talk about the way that church relates us I think another time that's usually horrible for those of us on a spectrum in church is a time where you're required to stand up and greet one another and such the only benefit I get usually out of this time is I turn to my wife and I follow what scripture says clearly where you're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. And I, I, I follow the scripture. I mean, I'll usually ask her a few seconds. Say, did I greet you already? Say, yes, you did. Say, okay. Did I greet you already? <laughs> yes, you did. But other than that, I could do without the whole time. You know, it, it, that's a whole interesting topic to uh, to do. I've, uh, I've used that. Actually, the first time I ever did that as a pastor, mm-hmm. it's because I realized that my sermon notes were all in my office on my desk and the service had already started and so I needed an excuse to uh, go and get my sermon and so I had everyone turn to each other and greet each other and then I, I ran off and, and got my, my notes. I have done it um, other times and uh, for me it's been okay as long as people don't want to chat like if we're, all we're doing is shaking hands yeah, uh, yeah. then i'm okay to do that yeah, yeah. but uh, i know that it is a pretty sensitive topic i have a a friend uh another pastor friend and he's very active in um talking about mental health issues he has uh he suffers from depression and uh he's just done some great things in helping the church deal with various uh mental health issues but for him, that uh, the, the greeting time is just uh, painful to happen. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that. W- what we end up doing now at our church is we do it some Sundays, but it's not an every Sunday thing. In fact, it might only be once a month. It might even be less than that, uh, depending on how things are, uh, are going. But we have to realize that not everyone is, is up for that. And so for a church to support people— I think is trying to read body language. So if if you go and shake someone's hand and they don't seem that interested in talking, don't force the issue. Right. You know, just smile at them, shake the hand, and walk away. Give them that uh, <laughs> that right to be able to to do that. It's not doesn't mean that we are um, that we're anti-social or we're trying to be rude or anything like that. It's just 
sometimes a little bit too much. I remember my uh, my wife threw a birthday party for me once, and all the people that were there were were all people that I was comfortable with, uh, that I considered friends, and that you know I would enjoy spending time with. But there was too many of them there. Uh, there was uh, I don't know fifteen or something like that, and wow, I felt overwhelmed with that. Even though if only one or two. Uh, of those people came at a time, everything would have been fine. But having them all together, it, it just gets to be a lot. Yeah, and eye contact in these kinds of events also is extreme difficult. You're supposed to go and take their hand and look into their eyes. And I can have a conversation with people very easily and not look into their eyes. I, I have to remind myself every now and Try and look at their eyes, okay? Try and look at their eyes, because it doesn't come naturally to me. The only person whose eyes I look into easily are my wife's, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's very common. I, I'm not too bad with that. Uh, it's come okay, although I find that in the conversation, I begin by looking at in their eyes, and then the next thing I know, I'm looking somewhere else. And I don't even notice that I have right. off from their face. But uh, again, I, I try to keep the conversation short enough that I can uh, uh, do that for a while. But I think I trained myself to do that. It's not something that necessarily comes, uh, comes easy. Yeah. Uh, and again, p- people have to realize that if someone's not looking you in the eye, that does not mean they're trying to be rude, that there are uh, reasons for that. It's uh, uh, the way different areas of the brain are firing mm-hmm. during uh, during d- different activities that cause that, and that and that, that's why I wrote the um, that other chapter in how to make your church autism friendly because I really feel that people with Aspergers have been interpreted as unfriendly right. and rude when that is not the case, that they have they are shaped by the same kind of forces that uh, children with uh, severe autism are. And we have sympathy for them because there is an obvious disability. And I, I want people to, to realize that there, there's other parts of the spectrum – and they need the support and the love and the acceptance just as much as uh, a nonverbal child. Yeah, I'm not sure if, if, if this is something you do with also, but I find, for instance, my mind is always working, and I'm always thinking about something intensely and such. So when Ari and I go to our small group meetings, I usually bring my kinder with me while the conversations are going on to make sure I don't dominate the whole thing because I know that would be my tendency. I'm usually playing a word game of some sort on my kinder and I'm able to pay attention to to everything. I mean, my my in-laws for a while thought I was rude at first. When we got married and come over and be talking, I'd have my DS out or my PlayStation Portable or something. Then they realized, wait, he's not rude. He's hearing everything we're saying. He's able to concentrate. He's able to focus. The thing is, if I wasn't doing two things at once, I'd kind of be nervous because of the whole thing, because my mind would be unoccupied and it'd be wandering off somewhere. But when I do something like this, my mind is able to stay better focused and I can pay much more attention because if I don't, I'll just sit there and it'll wonder, I'll be bored, things like that. 
Yeah, um, my my mind is always going as well. It is really hard to to quiet things down. Right. And uh, I have uh, I don't usually do games or anything like that. Sometimes I will uh, read a book on my iPhone. I usually have something on there that I can read. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, in terms of uh, my my wife's family, uh, my father in law, he's. Uh, as much of a introvert as I am, and so we'll go over to their house. We'll bring the children over, and uh, we'll sit in the living room. And my father-in-law will watch TV, and I'll read a book on my phone, and and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm happy with that situation. And he's happy with the situation, and so there's no uh, there's no pressure there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it is something that is uh, true for me that. It is really hard to, to quiet things, and I like to have uh, things that develop uh, things working through my mind. So, uh, for me, um, if I was to walk my dog and not have not be listening to podcasts, oh, it yeah. would probably be crazy because my brain would be going in all kinds of different areas. And so, I would I find it really helpful for me to take a nice hour long walk. And really, just uh, mm-hmm. soak in what yeah. I get to to do. That's why um, when I have to commute, uh, we, we where we live is about a, an hour and a quarter, hour and a half uh, from Toronto. And uh, I go into Toronto for uh, various reasons, and I don't mind it. And I don't even mind it if I got stuck in traffic because uh, I have my podcast to listen to, and it calms my brain down in being able to, to listen to those things. And so I end up having a better day if I've had that kind of time uh, to myself. Yeah, I, I think we've talked a little bit about the whole thing of suffering and such. And one statement's been in the back of my mind here. And that's when I was on the Unbelievable show years ago to do a debate, it was right after the Haiti earthquake. And I was one of two Christians called in to talk about the problem of evil. And they wanted me on there because I live with disability. Now, I think Justin Browdy is a great interviewer, a great moderator and such, but I did have to correct him on the because he was introducing me, talking about, so Nick, tell us what it's like for you if uh, someone who suffers with uh, autism on the spectrum and such. And I'd say to me, Justin, I got so like, Justin, I got to challenge you up there, is that I don't suffer with autism. Autism, suffering is a choice. I... I live a very happy life. I'm very glad with where I am and such. And I choose to make the most of everything. And what I have, like I've said at the start, there's a lot of downsides, but there are a whole lot more gifts that come with it. I I, I sometimes wonder if I'll still be like this when I get to eternity. Will God have me keep all these quirks that are part of who I am? Yeah, that's that's great uh, that you would uh, share that, Nick, uh, about uh, about that. And I I'm sensitive to the idea of suffering with autism as well. And now yeah. I I've seen the bad side of autism. Oh, We've yeah. had some really difficult uh, situations. Our two children, uh, both of them live in a group home. They don't live with us because of the seriousness of some of the things that that happen uh, with their autism, but I still avoid the term suffering. Uh, being autistic is not uh, good or bad. In It's just a different uh, 
neurological setup in the brain than mm-hmm. what the majority of the population is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it by itself is not necessarily bad. But I was mentioning that I was at that apologetics event last night, and I was specifically asked, because we were talking about the resurrection, the general resurrection that will uh, take place. And someone asked me, will people be healed of autism in the resurrection? And uh, I said, you know, if you had asked me a number of years ago, I probably would have said yes, but I don't think so now because uh, I don't think autism by itself is a a problem. It's not something that needs to be healed. It's just a a different neurological makeup. (laughs) What will change, I think, is um, how people are affected by that. Uh, the you know there's not going to be a, an issue of danger or anything like that, um, but that's the same thing with with every area of your life, whether people are autistic or not. That mm-hmm. uh, things will be uh, taken care of, but I don't see why <clears throat> why that would be the case because we've seen uh, some of the most successful people in the world uh, be uh, be people who are on the autism spectrum. So why would they need to be healed. You know, some people think that uh, Albert Einstein had autism and there's numerous other people that uh, uh, probably had some form of autism. And if those people have been healed right at the beginning, uh, you know, our world would be much poorer for that. So, uh, yeah, that is a real uh, tough question. In some ways, I have a, a foot in both parts of the autism community because uh, there are uh, parents of children with autism, usually those who are on the mm-hmm. severe end, who really are anti-autism. They just they absolutely hate it because all they they see from autism is pain. But then when you talk to people who have autism themselves, uh, there's pride in it. There's a lot of people who are proud to call themselves Aspies or mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not embarrassed by it. They're not uh, ashamed of it. They see Speaking. it as a strength. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, I'd put myself up there. In, when I was in seminary, our seminary really liked the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas, which I've come to like as well. And I've heard stories about him that make me think, if I got to eternity and I met him and I found out that he was on the spectrum, I would not be the least bit surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there was a story about him being at a party and all around him, all these people are talking and chatting and everything back and forth. And he's just sitting there. He's got his like, hand on his chin or something. He's in a real finger position. Then all of a sudden he slams his fist down on the table and says, and that were a set of the manichees. And everyone else just freezes. Of course, I understand the next order from the king was write down whatever he has to say. And I I see that story. I think that looks to me like someone on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I talk about uh, something called ADAR, uh, Mm -hmm. which is that I I don't know if anyone else uses that term, but it's something I joke about with uh, my wife that we can – even if we don't talk to someone, sometimes we can just see a person and mm-hmm. you just have a sense. So, you know, there's there's some spectrum going on here. And uh, and then when you talk to certain people, you can really feel uh, 
that it's there and you know not not in a in a bad way at all but you can you can recognize it in in how some people think uh the analytical side of it um and uh, and sometimes the way they use emotions and whatever and and you don't want to i don't want to stereotype people at all but you do get a sense when you meet certain people that yeah they're probably on uh, on the spectrum which probably explains uh, why you were able to why you weren't surprised when you found out that that I was diagnosed I have done that exact thing several times I've never used the term ADAR that's a good term to use but and I, and I've been out in public I've seen some parents their children where their children are behaving I said I said honey I'm going to bet that child is probably on the spectrum yes yeah and it's 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 good there, there is a uh, uh, developing certainly a, an autism community that is uh, positive and uh, is promoting uh, more a more holistic picture of what mm-hmm. autism is uh, with uh, tomorrow being world autism uh, awareness day um, it, I, I'm glad that this kind of thing happens that we can uh, have the opportunity to to talk about it because uh, a lot of people uh, well especially a couple of years ago you know they, they would just say autism so that means you're like rain man and I'm like well no <laughs> not exactly right. uh, it's not that's not uh, the only form of, of autism uh, by any means. You know, we're all here. Uh, people will say, "Oh, so what's your children's uh, special skill?" And I'll say, "Well, no. You have to realize that there are some people with autism who have sav- uh, savant abilities, uh, but a lot do not. And so you can't judge just based on uh, one movie or one TV show that you've seen." The, the best way to describe autism is if you've met one person, person with autism, autism you met, met one, one person with autism. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, they're so different. Like I, I said that our two children are both on the severe end, but they're so different from each other. Um, there's a lot of things in common in that they're both nonverbal, but the way they, uh, they act, the way they interact with other people, uh, even the way they communicate is different from each other. Their personalities are very different, and that's fine. You know, that's because <laughs> they're they're individuals uh, created by God, and so I'm different from them, and uh, and I'm different from you, and you're different from me, and and uh, it, it's okay. That's part of the diversity that uh, is autism, and and we can celebrate that. But we, uh, I've I've really tried hard to try to break down some of those stereotypes that are there. And I, and I mentioned the, uh, the not being empathetic, that's one of my, my pet peeves because they, they make it sound like, uh, you know, people with autism have no emotions that they don't care or anything right. like that. And that is so far, uh, from the truth. Mm. Uh, maybe some are very reserved in their emotions but that's not uh, that's not the case for everyone by any means. Yeah, I like to remind everyone you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest is Stephen Bedard. This week we're talking about what it's like for him being autistic and a pastor at the same time. But if you're listening next week, we're going to be getting into some Jewish apologetics. What does it mean to say Jesus is the Messiah, and how will we reach a Jewish person? And with that, we've got a person I would say is the foremost expert on this. Michael Brown will be joining us next week on the Deeper Waters podcast to talk about Judaism and apologetics. So I hope you're here next week for that. 
Now, you know, one other thing I, that I think happens with those of us on the spectrum is, for the most part, I could get up and talk to a crowd of, say, a hundred people or so and be absolutely fine. I mean, when I was going to the, through the Volk Rehab, who was paying for my Bible cards due to disability, he said, you should not go into ministry. You should do something like engineering and such, which, no offense to engineering, I had zero interest in it. But he said, you should do that kind of you should do that kind of thing because if you go into ministry, you will not be able to handle public speaking. I would have an easier time speaking to a hundred people than to one person for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm a, the exact same way. So that event last night, uh, I spoke for uh, 45 minutes and then did another half hour of um, Q&A. And that was fine. I was happy to do that. But the little bit of time before it, when uh, people are doing the chit-chat thing and yeah. the little bit of time afterwards, the, those are the parts that are, are more difficult. Uh, in my teaching at Tyndale, it's mm-hmm. a sort of an intensive uh, modular program. And so the, uh, the lectures are four hours long. And I'm fine to talk for those four hours uh, without any issue. It's just not, not a problem. But, um, yeah, so that's a, a uh, stereotype that's there that people <clears throat> judge someone based on, on a label, and it's, it's just not good. I mean, there are, sure, there are some people with autism who do not uh, thrive in that way, but there are lots of people without autism that uh, don't do that, uh, who aren't good at public speaking either. So there's just no point in... Uh, and making those kind of stereotypes. Yeah, and again, it comes down to something that we were talking about earlier, because you know, if I'd gone the engineering route, I'm pretty sure I'd be miserable, not because of what engineering is, because I just didn't have any interest in it. I mean, right now, what I do with apologetics and such, I don't consider it work, really. I mean, it's my joy. It's my passion. I love to do what, I'm about, what I do. I mean, I can... Can I rub my hands in glee and such sometimes, and I say, "You're debating an atheist on Facebook, aren't you?" Oh yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, they. I really believe that God designs us in in a certain way, and we need to uh, to act on those gifts. And I am so thankful uh, that I have the job that I have. When I'm on Facebook, I see so many people complaining about their jobs. Uh, that they they hate this. They can't wait for mm. Friday. They can't wait for the weekend so they can get away from work. And uh, and I love what I do. I, I just came off uh, uh, two weeks of vacation because my wife was uh, was recovering from some surgery. And you know I I was happy to be home and and to help help out and to to do things uh, for her. But I was also uh, happy to go back to work as well. I wasn't dreading the idea of being back at work. Mm-hmm. I enjoy being able to, uh, to study the scriptures. I enjoy uh, writing sermons. Um, I enjoy uh, preparing Bible studies and, you know, I write curriculum and I write devotions and, and all these kind of things. And sometimes I think, wow, like I get paid to do what I really enjoy. And it's such a blessing and I wouldn't want to, to do anything else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the few times I've made any kind of rule about avoiding doing my work and such was shortly after we got married, and I mean, that very week, I and I went on our honeymoon together, and we went to the beach, and I said, and I've given this advice, I've just said, this week, this week, aside from the Bible, I'm not going to bring any books with me, I'm not going to do Gmail, I'm not going to do Facebook, I told my parents and her parents, and that's, it's an emergency, do not contact us, let us be, and I say, this one week, I'm definitely going to be making sure that Ari and I are focusing and starting our new relationship together, right? And I've never had any regrets about following that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, Im- important to do. I uh, I do get uh, uh, hooked on social media a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've uh, started to do in my life is to do um, to observe Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I don't do it in terms of like the Jewish Sabbath of uh, a Friday night to the Saturday night. Um, some people just do it as Sunday. Well, as a pastor, I mean I'm not really taking Sunday mornings off. That's when I'm doing most of my work. And also, Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. I've always been having days off, right. but uh, I need something more. So what I end up doing is I have a uh, my Sabbath is uh, Sunday noon to Monday noon. And during that time, I stay off social media uh, and I don't check, I don't check uh, email at all or anything like that. I stay offline. The only exception is uh, Sunday night, I always write what I call a, a good news post. And this is something that I, I started a couple of years ago and it's been a really good I would say spiritual discipline for me in that I find something really good from the week that has taken place. Sometimes it's something that happened that Sunday. Sometimes it's uh, been earlier in the week. But I I share that as a way of focusing on the good things that God has given. So I'll share that on social media. But other than that, I stay off and and just try to enjoy my family. I, I do... I do read during that time, yeah. uh, but I, I'm very specific in what I, I read. I usually will focus on things that are, are feeding me spiritually and not necessarily uh, books just for the sake of, uh, of research or, or whatever. So that's been, that's been yeah. very good for me to, mm-hmm. to do that. And that's, what, again, one of the, um, the benefits of, of autism is that habits are actually – pretty easy to develop uh, once you get it started it just feels really natural you don't have to fight to repeat it the, the next week uh, it just becomes uh, a, a normal part of the routine so I, I that's, really, sorry. go ahead I haven't really considered it that way but I think you're right with that and I follow a very similar pattern in fact and most of my friends you know that even if there's some big joke going on they want me to get in on it they know if it's Sunday, he's not going to do it. He's taking a break from posting on Facebook. I mean, if I have to message someone on there or check an email, I can do that. But generally, no, I don't do debates on Facebook or on Viagi Web, where I've usually been, on Sundays. It's a day mm-hmm. off to recharge. And for me, I also have a one exception. And most people know this. And that exception is that... I mean, I watch what goes on my wife's Facebook page very closely. 
because I know how prone she can be to being hurt. I say, if someone insults my wife, and I mean insult, if you disagree with her, that's fine. She and I disagree on some things too. That's okay. But if you dare insult my wife on Facebook, then I think people will know the rule. Stay back. Stay out of the way. Because her husband is going to come. He is going to be there. And he is not going to be happy. And he will have no mercy on you once you do that. I've had one of those experiences as well. Someone went after my wife once and uh, couldn't believe it. And it, it brought the ugly side of, <laughs> of me. But that's uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, that- now, one of the things I wanted to, to mention uh, to you, Nick, we were, we were talking a little bit about how how uh, churches can support uh, people yeah. with autism. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things uh, is just the way our faith develops. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It can be a little bit different than people who are not on the spectrum. So, uh, for example, I mentioned in my own testimony, I became an atheist uh, when I was in my mid-teens. And the reason for that, now that I look back, is that I had trouble imagining heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, heaven was too abstract. I just could not imagine uh, what existence outside of the body was like. And yet that was the, the only version of the afterlife that w- was put out there. And I just could not accept it. And so that led to me becoming uh, an atheist. What I wish that people had done is have actually talked about the resurrection of the body. Oh, uh, yes. As you find in First Corinthians 15 and in, in First Thessalonians. Because yeah, to me, that is more concrete. I can get my head mm-hmm. around that because we actually have an example. Jesus' body after the resurrection is uh, what something like that is what we're going to have. And so I, I can get my head around that. But in my church uh, growing up, no one ever talked about the resurrection like that. It was just this... Uh, really abstract, disembodied spirit. And um, I find uh, that, and this is from talking to other people as well, uh, people with autism really struggle with the uh, abstract ideas. You yes. have to do things as concrete mm. as possible. So, you know, for example, saying something like, oh, you need to, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, what does that even mean? Mm. What does that look like? Uh, or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. You know, all of those things, there, it's really hard to do that. And so you have to, uh, that's not to say you don't use any images, because you, right. you, we need images to to understand some of these things. But to keep it as concrete as possible, and don't just assume that people just get uh, all these things. Um and I'll give you another example of something I, I struggled with. Uh, so after I, I came to personal faith, I ended up uh, attending uh, a Pentecostal church. And that was fine. Uh, you know, there was a lot of good that came out of that. But one of the things that was really hard is that uh, a lot of people were really having these emotional experiences with God. When they would worship uh-huh. you know, hands would be up and they would be weeping and they would just be overwhelmed with the emotions that they're feeling. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not getting this? You know, is, is God cutting himself off for me? Um, am I, is there sin in my life? Is that why I don't feel these things? 
And and so they were really uh, emphasizing that that was the way that you had to connect with God. Oh, gosh. And that wasn't, uh, that wasn't me. I, I shared this with my church here, uh, that it used to be what would happen is that the church we were attending, the Pentecostal church I attended, um, people would endure the preaching so that they could just have more time for worship. I found that I had to endure the worship, so I was <laughs> yes. preaching. And uh, they would all be excited when the pastor would say, well, you know, the Spirit has led me to just uh, not preach today, and we're just going to spend the whole morning worshiping. And people are like, yeah, praise the Lord. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, okay, this is, I want a sermon. <laughs> I need something of substance here. Yeah. Uh, and so, and now I, I understand that that's, uh, uh, I understand my own makeup more. But just if, if people are going to welcome, not just people with autism, but this could be uh, people from any background, people don't have to connect with God in the exact same way that you do. So, I mean, I, when I'm reading uh, something really profound, um, you know, like uh, for, for me, like C.S. Lewis is definitely my favorite author. When I, when I read through his stuff, you know, I really feel like I'm connecting with God. I, it's almost a spiritual experience right. uh, for me. But not everyone's going to do that. My wife is more of the worshiper. She would, uh, she would, lo- she loves to sing and uh, is is great at it. She's a beautiful singer, and, and she connects really nicely in that way. So I can't ask her to say, you know what, just shut off that worship song and here read some C.S. Lewis because right. that's not going to that's not going to help her. Um, you know, she she studies the Bible and she she's very intelligent and and all that, but that's not her main way of connecting. And uh, so we just can't put these expectations upon people. It's just not right, and it's not a way to encourage people in their faith. Because if you think that everyone has to connect with God the exact same way as you, you're just you're throwing up uh, obstacles and stumbling blocks to mm. people. And it can be very discouraging yeah. uh, when you're when you're on the receiving end of that. Some of my favorite words to hear in church service are actually, you may now be seated, because that means, finally, we're done singing, we can get to the sermon. Mm-hmm. Such, and, I mean, I, I don't even really sing most of the time of the songs, hardly ever, because I'm thinking, I don't think most people in here really realize what they're saying, and such, because we put all these great songs on about all that we're going to do, all the service we're going to give, how much we love God and such. And I I don't see this going on in the world around me. And then I'll just, I often sit there and I'll be critiquing the songs theologically and saying, that, that that's not right. I, I can't agree with that and such. I mean, there are a few exceptions. Now, I mean, if I hear, for instance, holy, 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 I will sit down, I mean, not because it's a bad song, but because it's a great song. And there, there's so much you like, I hear God and free persons, blessed trains, like, wow. that that That's it for me. I, I gotta sit down and think about this. Mm-hmm. And such. And I can say on my end, and I don't know if you're the same way, but for me, prayer is extremely difficult to do. Because if it's hard enough to talk to a person face-to-face, to talk to God of all people, is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I really hear you there. It is uh, prayer is not something that comes easy uh, to me. Um, you know, I know of people that it is re- they're so good at prayer and the, their prayers are, are beautiful and they just seem to connect with God so well. Yeah. And there's a sensitivity there and uh, it's it's great. And but that does not describe my experience. I certainly do pray. Uh, we have a, a prayer group here at our church and I, I participate in that. Uh, but I share pretty short prayers. Uh, and that's what I found has worked for me. I can't uh, kneel down and, and pray for an hour on a certain topic or, or whatever. What I need is really short prayers that happen throughout the day. And I, for me, that's, that's how I fulfill what Paul says of uh, pray without ceasing. And so I, I don't have necessarily a specific prayer time for me, like even when I do my devotions in the morning, uh, I don't pray as a part of the devotion. I, I read the passage of scripture and what I'm reading uh, for devotions right now. Uh, I don't know what you think of them, but I, I'm reading from Karl Barth. And uh, even when I disagree with them, just the way he uh, interacts with scripture and is just thinking about things so carefully, I find it gets me off to the, the right start. But I don't have a, a prayer time. So, but I do pray throughout the day. And again, one of the spiritual disciplines I've uh, I've taken on is uh, praying prayers of thanks. So, anytime something goes right, uh, anytime there's something really good that takes place, actually, it doesn't have to be really good. It doesn't matter how big or small. I just do a thank you God prayer, and and I find that that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to just pray a little short thing like that. Um, I feel like I'm connecting with God, but if I had to do something really profound and, and really long, it, it's really hard. I can't, it's not something that will come easy to me. Well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast and everything we do is listener supported. And that's what you consider going to deeperwatersapologetics.com, my website. And on the left side there, the sidebar, you'll find a link that says, Help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And there's a button there that you can don't hit to go to the donation page. And when you do that, you'll go to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. Have you gone to the right place? Yes. Yes, you have. And you make a donation because that's my in-laws. And my mother-in-law is a financial guru. She's a clergy tax accountant, so she knows how to do all this right. And you make the donation, but if you want to go to us, you have to let them know, or let Ari or I know specifically, or else they'll think it's a a donation for Risen Jesus. And so you contact Mike or Debbie or myself or Ari and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to get to you, or I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure we get that. And it will be tax deductible. You can also go online and buy some of the ebooks I've either written or co-written, A Creed for the Ages, or The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian, or Defining Inerrancy, or Groundless, or God and Natural Disasters Debate. And you can also buy jewelry. Now, Stephen and I, no doubt, are probably not the greatest experts in the world on relationships with women because of our condition and such, but I think we all know 
For the most part, women seem to really like jewelry. I mean, have you noticed that yet, Stephen? I have noticed that every once in a while. My wife uh, <laughs> drops a little hint about that. <laughs> yeah, and so you can go to our store, and the access code is love. My friend Lena Cluster wants if you need some tips on that, then let me know, and I'll do it. And whatever you buy, 25% of it goes to Deeper Waters. So as I like to tell you all, gentlemen, you can go and you can buy some of that lady in your life to make up for that screw-up that you recently did. Or you can buy someone to make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. And if you can't do this, please let us know you support us, you encourage us. A great way to do that is by leaving a positive review of a Deeper Waters podcast. I love to see them. Stephen, do you have an organization you'd like to see people donate to? You know, I was uh, thinking about it in terms of our discussion about autism, and uh, we had a uh, a service dog for our son that we got through a organization called National Service Dogs. And so, if you just Google National Service Dogs, you'll you'll find it. And that was a, a tremendous help for us because we couldn't take our son out in public without him taking off somewhere. And we actually found that the dog, in addition to uh, keeping him safe because they'd be tethered together, would actually help him emotionally as well. I'd bring him to a men's breakfast at our church. And even if he wasn't connected to the dog, just having the dog with us would help him. And now that dog is retired, uh, but he lives with us. And our son doesn't live with us, but now he's my service dog. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, that's my quality time. Uh, I going out for walks with him, or even when I'm reading a book, he's laying at my feet. And uh, I find that uh, the dog uh, dogs are just a great blessing. But anyways, it, uh, if you can uh, support uh, uh, either National Service Dog or any kind of uh, organization like that is money well spent. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know what it is in the United States, but last I heard the cost for a dog uh, was uh, $18,000 uh, for the dog. And uh, now we were able to get that through, uh, through fundraising, but um, the more you can give in and support, uh, the better. Uh, so that, that's where I would go. Yeah, I like to go back to what you're talking about, emotional connections and things like that and such, because I remember that uh, there have been people in the past who would, there was a lady at the church I used to go to, and she said the first time she heard me speaking about something related to theology and projects, she thought, this isn't just a guy who knows a lot, this is a guy who's a great lover of God. And when she told me that, I thought, that is one of the last terms I think I would use to describe myself. I mean, I would hope I am and such, but, you know, for those of us on Spectrum, I think it's hard on the emotional level to, like, feel a great love for God in that sense. And, you know, I've come to accept, I guess that's just the way I'm wired. I don't just feel things like that intensely. I, I'm totally with you. I, I, I feel like uh, some of the work that I do in mm. theology and biblical studies and apologetics, uh, I try to do that uh, as a part of my worship, worshiping God right. with my mind. Uh, and I don't necessarily 
feel uh, the connection. I don't necessarily feel the emotions during that, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thinking about our relationship with God and our relationship with uh, with uh, a human with a with a spouse. Uh, you know, I do. I try to be a good husband, uh, not just when I, I feel like it. Yeah. Uh, not when the emotions are, are bubbling up, but I will try to do the right thing because it's the right thing. Exactly. So that's that's how I try to do it with uh, with God as well. Yeah. And I don't put that kind of pressure on myself that I have to feel the uh, the emotions. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean I've talked about it many times. This whenever she's pressured for what to do in the relationships, that's where I, I feel like such. I feel like I said, honey. Kind of question I usually ask myself is, what is the right thing to do? And that's it. I mean, I remember someone getting after me once because I said, you know, love means doing something loving even when you don't feel like it. And I got into this huge debate and I said, look, if my love for God or my wife depended on my feelings, I would be in a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Amen. I, I'm I'm totally with you, and that's it's uh, an important thing. It, for me, there's a, a connection here too with uh, with apologetics. Right. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I find that there are uh, a lot of Christians who are critical of apologetics, and they'll they'll say that oh this is not good. Uh, it just leads to an intellectual faith, and they'll say uh, what yeah. people really need is. Uh, an experiential connection with God, yes. uh, they to just feel the love of God, mm-hmm. and the uh, doing apologetics is just going to get in the way of all that kind of thing. And you know, yeah, there are some people that connect on on a wonderfully emotional level, and I'm not criticizing that at all. But for myself, and I suspect for many people on the spectrum, apologetics is really helpful. Oh in- yes. Of, of understanding God because the, the experiences don't necessarily uh, come so easy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you for Christian leaders especially to say uh, we're going to avoid uh, apologetics, you're really cutting off a significant part mm-hmm. of the population who needs that. And that's not just people on the, on the spectrum. There's a lot of other people as well. But uh, I think particular people on the spectrum that uh, apologetics really helps us yeah. to wrap our minds around this and, and to um, to be confident in our relationship with God. And so it's um, it's really unfortunate that people will, without really thinking about it, will um, just abandon that, something that's traditionally been uh, a very valuable part of our uh, our. Christian tradition. I, I had a conversation a while back uh, with someone that, where they were um, they were dismissing apologetics as uh, in as an enlightenment endeavor, and so you know we're past the enlightenment now, so we should need we need to give up on apologetics. And I'm like, I need to tell you that apologetics did not start with the enlightenment. Yeah, uh, some of the earliest Christian writings were completely apologetic. In, in character. And the fact is, uh, even if you consider yourself a postmodern, I don't, uh, I don't hold to that uh, philosophy. But even then, uh, there are people who are doing apologetics. It, it's not about 
moving on from one stage to the next. And now we have to give it up. It's not apologetics is not tied to a period of history like that. It's simply giving a reason for why we believe. And if you really believe anything strongly, you should have a reason. Yeah. I look back growing up in church, and I am very disappointed because no one ever mentioned anything about apologetics to me. Not once. Every single sermon was pretty much about application, which drives me crazy whenever I think about it. And I went to Bible college still, and when I was in Bible college, I was suffering with a lot of depression and a lot of doubt about my own relationship with God most every day. No doubt probably because being on the spectrum, I wasn't able to feel other things ever as fear. And then I got introduced to apologetics. And I say apologetics made my world come alive. And it's what got me out of that depression, turned me into a person I am today. So when people knock apologetics, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Apologetics, as far as I'm concerned, saved my life, saved my faith, brought me such great joy. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, the same way. It has been an important part of, uh, of my faith, and, uh, and I see God using it in a lot of people's lives. Mm. And it, it, doesn't, it shouldn't lead to a purely intellectual uh, faith. It, it, can be, it can fit very nicely with experience, with uh, worship, uh, with emotion, uh, with social justice. With, I mean, it, it's not an either-or thing. Right. It really uh, it fits with the rest of what the Christian faith is like. And I mean, look at Paul's letters. He, he responds in different ways. At certain points, he is doing it in an apologetic style, and sometimes he's doing an application style, and sometimes he's just giving thanks and worshiping. Like you go to like a letter like Ephesians, which is just filled with worship, but it's theological worship. It's like deeply theological, and yet you can sense the, the passion he has for God. So it's a, it's a false dichotomy when people – uh, try to pit apologetics against every other uh, way of living out our faith. It, it really should be complementing all of those things. Yeah. I, I'm thinking back to a church that Ari and I left in Knoxville on bad terms. It wasn't the point that we loved in Knoxville and still do, but it was another one. And the breaking point came when I was alone in a small group one evening, and everyone was talking about the sermon, and the main thing was about giving your personal testimony, which sadly to some Christians is the only way they know to do evangelism at all. And I was hearing all of this, and all these people were talking about how they'd share to get people to convert and such, and frankly, I was getting scared because I knew what a lot of these people would come up against eventually. And they'd meet some loudmouth atheist who would be more than happy to shoot down their testimony, and they'd have nothing left, and it would not only hurt them, it'd be an embarrassment to the kingdom as well. And I said, you know, I want to tell you, it's great that you have your testimonies, but I don't think you should know that. If you're going out there and you're doing evangelism, you need a little bit more, and I would just encourage you to, and I got cut off immediately by the leader of a group, and it was an extremely painful event and I left in anger 
in. It was the last time we ever went to that group, and we went to church next Sunday, and then we never went back. We were severely burned at that point. And I kind of wish these people knew that if you're going out there and all you have is your personal testimony, you're especially not going to be able to relate to someone on the spectrum, and you're not going to be able to relate to that loudmouth atheist out there who's more than ready to shoot down a personal testimony. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, we, we look at uh, the book of Acts, and yeah, uh, Paul shares his personal testimony. But you look at Acts 17, uh, and all of Acts 17, often as Paul just, we just look at, to his experience in in Athens. But the first part of chapter 17 is uh, him in, uh, I think it's in Thessalonica, mm-hmm. and and he's doing apologetics. He the, the word that's used there is that he's arguing and and people are coming to faith through those arguments, mm-hmm. arguing that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And then you go to Athens and you see how he's uh, interacting with those philosophers. That he does it on on their level, and so uh, we really have to um, have all of that together. I mean, I share aspects of of my testimony, but I never expect that by itself to to do the trick. Uh, in many ways, the uh, the my testimony is uh, plays the role of the illustration for the the gospel truths, rather than being the the main the main focus of it. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate that people uh, you know think that a uh, more uh, a more robust uh, description of what the gospel is is somehow is going to either be too much for them or not helpful. Uh, it, it's something that anyone can can understand. I mean, I, I remember uh, my youngest daughter, um, we, were, we had a friend, a friend of, our, uh, of our sons over, and uh, she started, and I don't know how old she was at the time. She was maybe five. Anyway, she was explaining the doctrine of the resurrection of the body to this kid. And I'm like, what an awesome kid <laughs> that she can actually describe this in ways that a lot of uh, adults in churches do mm. not. And I was just so blown away that she was able to um, to do that, to be able to uh, explain uh, such an important part of the Christian faith. And if a five-year-old can do that, then really uh, adults can do it. I think that's part of what happens with the the reliance on the testimony is that they're afraid that it's beyond them to give anything more than that, but they're selling themselves short because mm-hmm. it's uh, the first people who uh, became Christians were not uh, overly educated, but they were able to to get this by uh, studying and learning and talking with other Christians, and they were able to explain what the actual gospel is. Yeah, and I, I think this will especially help reach a lot more people on the spectrum who generally tend to be much more geared intellectually and such. And I think another concern we should have for a lot of people on the spectrum is watching your language because we tend to take things very literally in a very wooden fashion, which is surprising to a lot of people because when you come to books like Revelation and the Arvet Discourse and such, I hold a preterist interpretation, so I don't interpret things that wooden 
literal sense, but that's also because I've been studying the text for years, so I recognize the differences, but when it comes to personal conversation, I'll probably be much more prone to take things literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is something you really have to uh, to be careful with. Um, I, I Again, going back to Temple Grandine, I read a book uh, by her, and she talked about how um, – the she was in a service and the pastor was preaching about uh, uh, behold I stand at the door and uh, and so she started looking for this door that that God was behind mm-hmm. and she's like going through the building opening all the doors and can't find him anywhere and because it, it totally made sense to her that uh, it, you know if he's behind a door then you just open the door to do it and mm-hmm. uh, it's just not. Uh, people don't realize that how uh, uh, how literal people on the spectrum take it. So, yeah, definitely, people have to be um, Christians should be sensitive to those things and and to explain. You, you can still use images, but explain yeah. it and make sure it's clear when you're using it that you're using this uh, in a symbolic manner and not necessarily as a in a literal one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think another tip would be, and this is just part of getting to know the person that you're communicating with, which is good overall, period, but especially for an Aspia or someone on the spectrum, I think, that's find out what they're really, really interested in and go from there. I mean, can you imagine, for instance, back in your atheist days, someone trying to explain to you theology and they start using examples from comic books? For instance, to make a case. And, I mean, you talk about deep interest. I remember when Smallville was on, which is still one of my favorite series. Think about I was totally obsessed with that. I watched an episode every night. I had all the episode titles memorized in order. All 10 seasons, over 200 episodes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it was. So if you start talking to me about things in that way, I would have connected immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's the example that Paul gives us in Acts 17, mm-hmm. uh, looking for the the um, areas of uh, common interests, places where you can build bridges and not feeling the obligation to uh, focus on everything at the, at the same time. So there he talks to them. He doesn't quote scripture, but he quotes their own poets. Uh, because that's what they knew, and uh, he focuses on God as the uh, creator, and and that's a, a good model for us. Mm. Uh, not to say the exact same things that he says, but to look where the areas are. And, and for sure, if a per- someone's interested in comics, then you can talk. I mean, there's all kinds of um biblical motifs found in comics you know especially in superman a uh, lot there's a lot that's there uh, or it can be anything anything but take the time to find out yeah and you know what even when you do that finding out what the person is interested in just the fact that you show interest will actually um, provide opportunities for you to uh, to talk more about uh, the gospel because they'll if they know that you're interested in what they're they like, then they're more willing to to listen to what you have to say. Yeah, because too often people will say, "Oh, they're just being Asperger," 
uh, type person and uh, they're always obsessed about something. So let's just change the subject. But um, that's not being fair and that's not really following the, the biblical the biblical principles of connecting with someone. Yeah, I think another aspect of this is that in our worlds, we are usually extremely guarded because we don't know how other people relate. We don't know if we can trust them. And with us, that trust in a relationship has to be earned. But I find also usually once you earn that trust, loyalty is extremely important to us. We are as loyal as dogs at that point, unless you betray that trust. And then, oh my gosh, it's going to be a nightmare for you at that point. But Mm -hmm. if you're able to speak with us about the things that we are interested in and connect with us, it's a good way to gain entry into our world because, you know, say, you know, this is, this is a person I can talk to, this is a person I can relate to, this is a person who's safe for me. You know, I think what was able to get me into Ari's world, for instance, is I was like her. And I was in Aspie as well. I knew what she was going through and such. And she's an artist. I can't connect with art in that way, but I could connect with her experience. And she doesn't really connect with me on apologetics. She knows it's what I love. It's my great interest, but it's not hers. And that's okay. But Find what that person is interested in and understand until you can connect with them, they are going to be guarded around you. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that is that is totally uh, my experience as well. That, um, you know, sometimes it takes a while to uh, to get in. But once you're in, you are, are definitely in. And, and I see that also with, with my children. Um, those... They, they can tell very quickly uh, who is is worth putting some time into it, mm-hmm. and uh, it really really makes a difference. and And that's that's important in terms of connecting with people on the spectrum, but really anyone. I mean, those are ba- basic respect issues. Um, yeah. And yeah. Once you get in, it's very easy to communicate. I- I've been amazed here. This this show shows usually. When I have a guest on, the communication, it's very natural because we're talking about a project most times for our love. And you and I could be very awkward talking with people individually. But here, we're having a conversation, and we know it's going to be a public conversation, but it's kind of talking like it's just the two of us. I mean, it's it's the kind of conversation we could have. We just met at a fast food restaurant and decided to talk together. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's great when there's that connection there. When you, you have the the mutual interest, and in this case, uh, the intersection between apologetics and, and autism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's limited people that we can talk to uh, about that. And so, when we can see how those things uh, come together, and and they're things that impact uh, both our lives, it's it's great. It's great mm-hmm. to do. Although I, I'm, it's interesting to see how many. Uh, apologists out there at least have uh, children on the spectrum. I've encountered a lot of apologists mm-hmm. who do have uh, children on the spectrum. And uh, I mean, part of that is just how, how common autism is now, but uh, uh, maybe it helps some parents uh, to be able to, to work through and, and to think uh, analytically like that about the faith. Yeah, Mike Lacona, definitely on the list. I know that from experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dimsky is on the list as a well. He has a son who has 
autism. In fact, they've even taken him to some conventions and such, hoping that you get some sort of healing. I don't know how severe the autism is, but he has it. And I do know a number of other people with a great interest in the projects who are doing a projects who are on the spectrum. And I think it's just a natural connection for us. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's something that, that does come... Uh, I, w- I was going to say come easy, but it's not really easy because it, it, it does take a lot of work. But it's something that comes a, a bit more natural. And uh, I really keep going back to that idea that there are different ways for us to, to connect with God. And we're all built in, in different ways. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Sacred Pathways. No. Um and uh, it, it basically goes through that there's a whole bunch of ways that people do it. Uh, you know, it could be through spending uh, time in prayer, uh, that kind of spirituality. Um, it, for some people, it's just being out in nature. You know, when they're out in the woods or the mountains, they just uh, totally experience the, the presence of God. Um, so for some people, it's uh, social justice kind of things when they're out um you know, taking a stand uh, for something that's right. Uh, you know, maybe it's, you know, fighting against abortion or, or whatever. Uh, and then other for other people, it's on the intellectual side. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he, uh, you know, he, he makes it clear that it's not that one pathway is better than the other. It's just we're all built differently. Mm-hmm. And people like me and you uh, need to have that freedom to – be able to uh, explore spirituality through intellectual means and also to be able to share that with others because you know this is one of the great things about it. It's not just uh, one of those personal obsessions for me like the comic books were. Uh, I have found over and over again that it has made a difference in people's lives uh, in terms of their, their confidence in God, uh, in their um, – their challenge of trying to see how uh, their faith and reality intersect and all those things, it, uh, it has been good. It's been a very positive experience and it's, it's fulfilling for me. And I'm sure it is for you when you mm-hmm. get those yeah, emails or Facebook messages or whatever of uh, how people have been, uh, been changed. I actually, one of the, the neatest things that ever happened um the fir- first book I uh, wrote that I was mentioning, I uh, was on the Jesus myth called Unmasking the Pagan Christ. Yeah. And I was a pastor uh, in that town. And uh, a couple came into uh, my office, and I'd never seen them before. And they uh, sat down and, and started talking. And this guy had been, he had read that book uh, that we were responding to, The Pagan Christ, and was ready to give up on his faith. And anyways, he picked up our book and he felt the uh, he could see that there was good reasons to believe in the, in the real Jesus and he could feel his faith uh, being built up again. Anyways, he was reading this this book while he was on vacation and then he finished the book and then he turned it around and saw that I was a pastor in the same town that he was vacationing in. So as soon as he finished the book, he just popped over to the church just to see if I might be there. And uh, and he came and he shared. And uh, that was such an encouragement to hear that, you know, it really was making a difference. And if I had listened to the, the voices of people 
uh, who would say, oh, no, you know, we don't need that kind of stuff. We just need uh, an experience or we just need the uh, we just need Christian community. Uh, I'm not against either of those things. Those things are great. But there's a role for apologetics as well for people on the spectrum and off the spectrum. Yeah. The senior pastor at the point about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I was telling him about some things that people were saying to me sometimes and such. And this is something I rarely do with people who I don't know. Well, I mean, I've got a few endorsements I've put up on my page just because people who are outsiders come there need to know a reason why they should take me seriously. But I don't go and talk about great compliments that I get openly and such. I only share them with my wife, my family, her family, people that I trust and such. But one thing I have done, based on this pastor's advice, is I've set up a folder on my computer of a document. It's called Encouragement. And when I get a good compliment, a good thanks from someone, I go to that document and I put it in there. And then every now and then if I'm feeling like, you know, what's the point? Am I really doing anything up there and such? I'll open up that document and I'll look over everything that's been said. And it can be about, it's usually one of two things. It's either a thank you for something in the world of apologetics and such, or the other great interest of mine would say, uh, I'm just amazed by the great love you show for your wife and such. Both of those go in there and that becomes my encouragement and it is so often needed. That's one reason I tell people I, I love it when you leave positive reviews of the Deeper Waters podcast. It's great to know that the show is out there making a difference. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea to uh, to have something like that. I know uh, a pastor uh, once mentioned that to me that he's done that because you, there's a lot of times that you get uh, criticism and mm. things that get you down, and sometimes it's important for us to, to yeah. focus on the good things that that people say. So, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I think it also works double for me because one of my love languages, which applies to everyone, really, is words of affirmation. And those kind words are very encouraging. That's one of the biggest benefits I have, I think, of being married because Ari is my affirmation so much. And that frees me to do what I do in the area of apologetics a whole lot more. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... That's something that connects with me as well, and my wife is really good for for doing that. She knows that I need to hear those things, and uh, she's she's sensitive to that, uh, more sensitive than I am to her love language. Yes, confess, <laughs> but yes, yeah. I remember I was giving a talk somewhere once on the projects of love, talking about marriage. And Ari had had some back pains and such, so she actually wasn't in the audience. She was at a hotel across the street, and I was thinking, well, that's kind of disappointing. I got to stand up and give my talk anyway, so I gave it, and then lo and behold, I'm looking in the back, the door opens, and here comes her with one of her friends walking in. My face brightens immediately, and I am much more focused and able to give a talk and doing so much better because she's here to support me, and also now I'm fact, but hey... My bride's here. I got to do the best I can because I want her to be proud of her man when I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's one of the, yeah, one, definitely one of the benefits of, of being in a relationship uh, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, God God uses them in, in such a, a, a powerful way to encourage us and help us. Mm-hmm. 
where Stephen, I, I really don't think there's enough time to get into another conversation, fortunately, but it's been really fascinating here. It's it, it it's just so casual where you and I just talk to each other, and now that we know we're both on the spectrum, it kind of gives an added insight into what we're doing, I think, and such that it there there's still that connection there. Yeah, and I and I hope our conversation is an encouragement to uh, to others, and, and and also in this uh, time of autism awareness, that people yeah. realize that it's it's a lot bigger than than people understand. It's uh, it's a lot more variety, and uh, it's not all bad. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of autism, if I do say so myself. Yeah, do you have a uh, blog or website and email where people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Sure. Yes. My, uh, my website is, uh, uh, com. And if you forget that, or you're not sure how you're going to spell Stephen, uh, hopesreason.com will get you to the same place. And that, um, uh, that will take you to my blog and also, uh, my podcast and, and, on my podcast, I actually have started a, an autism segment there as well, and I've only done a couple of episodes on there, but uh, people will be able to find that. It's just called The the Autism Dad, and uh, just try to share a little bit about uh, my experience uh, with my children, what I've learned from them, and to uh, try to break some of the stereotypes that are out there. And uh, do you have a final message you'd like to leave of the Deeper Waters audience today? I just want to actually thank you for letting me come on the show, and uh, God bless you and your wife and uh, the ministry that you have, and I I hope that uh, people continue to to seek to know God more, both with their their minds and their hearts. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again, maybe when you get that book published on Jesus Mythicism. Uh, That would be great. I'd like to remind everyone that next week, Michael Brown is going to be my guest. We're going to be talking about Jewish apologetics. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.